Welcome back to the Resiliency Ninja podcast. I'm your host, Allison Graham. This podcast is all about giving you the tools and the inspiration to be more resilient every day so that the challenges you face don't get in the way of your success. Now, today's guest is someone who I met very, very early in my speaking career. And I would say, as I have said, and you know, so often in front of audiences and friends and people who want to grow their speaking business or get into the speaking industry, I am always, and Jane must think that I am just like, you know, blowing smoke, but I am not. <laughs> I believe that Jane Atkinson has the tools and the ticket you need to build a thriving speaking business. So awesome to have you on the line here, Jane Atkinson. I am so thrilled to be with you, Allison. Thank you so much for having me on your show. Well, it has been a long time in the making because I know you have a lot going on and a lot of uh, structure in how you run your calendar. So we're going to talk about all of that. <laughs> yes. <laughs> that <laughs> Who loves structure? Me, me. <laughs> Actually, I don't. I, I just need it to survive, I think. <laughs> yes. And I, I probably need it a lot more than I have it. And so we will definitely talk about that. But I just... <laughs> For the listeners who don't aren't familiar with your work, I just want to give a bit of a, a rundown of some of the things sure. that you offer and what you do. Now, uh, Jane Atkinson is the author of four books. So The Wealthy Speaker 2.0, The Epic Keynote, and The Wealthy Speaker Daily Success Planner and Journal. And there was also The Wealthy Speaker, the original Wealthy Speaker uh, was in there, but I assume it's out of print at this point, right? Correct, yes. Okay. 2.0 2. is the way to go. <laughs> <laughs> because we're not going to rhyme in our, our, I like that. <laughs> okay, so over a decade as one of the top business managers for speakers, including best-selling authors, celebrities, and the industries most sought after, six years under a roof, uh, the roof of a Texas Speakers Bureau, which is one of the reasons why I think Jane has such a great insight is she's a speaker's coach who's been on both sides of the industry, which is so important. And she founded the Wealthy Speaker University, which provides online courses, group coaching, and live events for all levels of speakers. And she is also a podcast host. So um, the Wealthy Speaker podcast, if you love podcasts, and we know you do because you're listening to this, I would <laughs> recommend you going over and, and uh, subscribing to her podcast as well. So welcome officially to the show, Jane. Thank you so much. And just to give you, uh, you know, a place to aim for, we uh, just passed our, I think, around 45,000 download mark. And I know for some podcasts, that's like just peanuts, but for me, it's a really big deal. <laughs> That's and, amazing. And when you're starting out, like, it's really neat to go, okay, well, that's the number I can aim for. That, and I don't know if people who don't know the podcast industry would understand what a huge deal that is, but that is, that is significant. Like when I first started the podcast, I was told, you know, you might get to a hundred downloads an episode within a year or two. <laughs> oh, that's depressing. I know, though, that there are people out there, celebrities, who are probably getting 45K on the first episode they ever put out. But we've got a, like a little community here. The speaking business is not for everybody. And so I figure that my market is smaller. And then inside of that market, I'm known. It's my, you know, people who know about me are smaller. And so I consider that a win. 
<laughs> oh, it's a huge win. I'll celebrate that with you. Now, when you started the podcast, because how long has it been going now? Well, it feels like a hundred years, <laughs> right. but I was really doing podcasts before that they were called podcasts. We did them in the form of teleclasses and different things where sometimes we, you know, way back in the day, we had invited people on the line and then we just started doing the recordings. And so I say that I've been doing it for seven years, but it, I really didn't get serious about it. And I think this is the important point to note. I really didn't get serious about it until the last two years. So five years of dilly dallying and, you know, just kind of goofing around. And then I said, okay, I'm going to do this every week. And we got into a recording schedule. We record our podcasts on Mondays and not even every Monday. I, cause I have to have some Mondays just to do, I need those as buffer days to kind of get my uh, messes cleaned up. And so about two or three Mondays a month we'll record podcasts and that'll take us out into the future. So we do batches of maybe three or four at a time. Okay. And I'm glad you explained by what you mean by getting serious about it, because I think a lot of people start a podcast or whether it's a podcast, a blog, social media, some sort of a mm -hmm. marketing initiative. Anything. Right. Yeah. And then the principle remains the same, right? Like they don't, if you don't put that commitment and the, the regularity to it. Exactly. Exactly. It's like, we're taking your idea of resilience and we're applying it. Part of being resilient is doing the right things consistently. Right. And the consistency part is the thing that really moves you forward. And I, okay. So see, I'm making notes here and my, <laughs> <laughs> the, the listeners know I never yeah. plan the conversation where it's going to go, but then I end up with all these like little offshoots that I want to park <laughs> ideas. But one thing you said in all of that was a buffer day. And yeah. I, I want to unpack that because I, I'm pretty sure you're part of the strategic coach. That's where I got that term. Dan yeah. Sullivan is the leader of strategic coach and I am part of his posse. And uh, he, his joke is that he's glad that we're all really slow learners. I've been a part of the group for six years, but there's lots of people who've been around for like 20 and 30 years. So he's like, oh, I'm so happy you're all slow learners. But uh, so we go once a quarter to our coach and the very first year, that's the big focus is time, time management. How do you manage? Because if you layer all kinds of other things on top and you're not managing your time well, it just isn't going to make any impact. So we learn about time and what the kind of the things that a lot of entrepreneurs don't do is shut her down. So for 24 hours, they talk about taking free days, which are no, no phone, no computer, no nothing on business, like not even reading a business book is in your free day, you know, because really then you're starting to think about business and you really need to refill the well because the well gets dry. So that's one thing we learn is free days. And then the second thing is buffer days. And buffer days are clean up the mess days. You know, you do your scheduling, you pay your bills, you get all the crap off of your desk. You know, there's, there's a lot of beauty that goes into that. And, and really, I learned how to schedule my time at Strategic Coach. And now, when I do coaching, it's on my focus days, which are Tuesday, Wednesdays, and Thursdays, and from certain hours to certain hours, because outside of those hours, I need to be productive doing other things. 
And so that's part of how you structure, like we're recording this on a Monday for a Tuesday launch. So you structure it accordingly. So you save those power days in the middle for the money-making piece. but Activities, yes. You, and then you build the other days for the things that will support that. Yeah. And, and Fridays in the summertime, the goal is that Fridays are free days. And I will say that maybe I got away with it 50% of the time this summer. And I, I take that as a win. Yeah. You know, you're, you can't beat yourself up for needing to kind of clear up the business in order to clear your mind of clutter before you go off on the weekend. And so I would give myself a lot of times the morning on Fridays and then we'd be off to the cottage or whatever. And, uh, it just shut her down till Monday morning. And do you like have that ability to turn off the brain? Like, I, I think that's hard for a lot of entrepreneurs. I, I think it is really, really difficult. And that's why it's like a muscle that needs exercising. You need to learn how to do it. You need to learn how to turn it off. And actually I almost, have a switch that, you know, if I say I'm off, then I'm really off. And so let's say you go on a week's vacation and the goal is to really just decompress and not think about business too much. I might make a bargain with myself that, okay, on Wednesday morning from 12 till noon, I'm just going to work on my emails so that I don't have 5,000 emails when I come back. You know how daunting that can be. So if I do that, I make the deal with myself ahead of time and then I do it and um, and then I feel better about it and I've honored my deal with myself. Right. And, and my family, you know, because they don't want me to be working the whole time I'm in, on vacation. You know, you have to ask yourself, are you really present in your life outside of your work? And so many people are straddling that. And I can't say that I'm perfect at it. Please don't think I'm saying that at all. Right. But there's like, even uh, when we go on vacation, a lot of social media, I think people underestimate how consuming that is to take a picture and share with your community what you're doing. Like essentially that's still kind of work. Yeah, for sure. And so I love uh, one of the things that I'll do maybe twice a year is go on a social media cleanse and on vacation, that's when I'll do it. And so, you know, I'm just out. I, I, you won't see me for a week or two weeks or whatever it might be. And I, I might do that again at Christmas time because I just think that it allows you to feel a little bit more present with the people who are in your midst. And, you know, we see a lot of friends and family and we want to, we, I've got uh, four grandkids and one on the way. I want to be able to be present with them, not on my phone. So, and even taking pictures of the kids, you know, I find I can get caught up in that. So I'll let my husband do that and I'll just be, try to be present. I feel like you're not old enough to be a grandma. <laughs> well, I inherited that role as uh, on the day that I got married about 13, 12 years ago, I became a stepmom and a grandma all on the same day. My husband had a 18-year-old who had a little oops. And so we <laughs> were deep. I said, I'm too old. I don't, too young to be called. I was 43 or something. I, I'm too young to be called a grandma. So we're G-ma and G-pa. 
Oh, I and, love it. That's and good. now the the one who had the oops when she was 18, now she's happily married and she's pregnant again. So oh. we're going to have, that family has, is going to have two. And we have three from our other daughter that kind of happened in a more traditional manner. <laughs> right. Well, in this day and age, it seems there isn't as much tradition anywhere on exactly. any of it, right? So. This one, you know, it's, it's really interesting to note and uh, the parents listening might be able to uh, relate to this is that I didn't know becoming a stepmom that when your kids are settled, there's like a layer of just ah, peace within you too. And so for those people who are going through some sort of difficult time with their kids, just know that hopefully you'll get to this point of peace where they feel really happy and content in their lives. It's really interesting. I never thought I'd be saying that. Oh yeah. I don't think my mom says that yet. <laughs> she's waiting, right? Yeah. Yeah. She's very integrated in my life as you know. Yeah. Uh, so, okay. We, now when you talked about the podcast, you pulled that out. So how has the benefit been from the podcast? Like, has it been worthwhile for you? I believe so. And what's so funny to me, you know, the people that I um, interview, so David Averin, uh, we're at NSA last summer, and he says, he, we meet to just talk about a few things. He's like, I can't believe it. Everybody's coming up to me in the hallway of NSA. I listen to you on Jane's podcast. And so uh, I believe that it is working. And I think that people who become loyal followers of that, might be people who would come to a live event that we might do or and and once they arrive then they feel like they know me and they feel like they know my world of you know wealthy speaker products right and and so the beauty of you having such a niched lane is that you know exactly who your market is yeah for sure and i think for you your podcast can lead you into companies that you might not otherwise be in. So for instance, when you're there talking about resilience, and, and sometimes you might do a podcast with yourself, by the way. You I might do be, every week. Yeah, that's great. Do, yeah. <laughs> we call like, them Facha Fridays. And, <laughs> I love uh, it. <laughs> I, I do. I do like a teaching one on Fridays and yeah. then the interview one, which you're aware of on, uh, obviously, because you're one of my interviewees, yeah. is uh, on, on Tuesdays. That's perfect because then you show up as the expert and um, I think that that could very easily lead you into business um, on in a keynote situation or training or whatever it might be. Absolutely. Actually, it reminds me of the very first time we met. Do you remember that in person? I don't have a really good memory. Uh, no, I do not. A long time ago. And here's what happened because I have an elephant brain for this stuff. <laughs> good for you. You and I met at Chapters. Yes. Starbucks, out yes. on the North End. And I was, it was 2006. Ooh. And I had just decided to go into the speaking business and you were, you know, building your, your business. I don't know if you were just launching or I think you were already settled, but not like still, I think early, right? Cause this is ages ago and it might've been 2007 fairness. 
And you and I talked and I did an interview at the time I was writing for the media as one of my jobs. Ah, uh, yeah, that's ringing a bell now. I did a business Monday, yes. two days spread on you. I have that somewhere here. Yes, cool. Okay, so here's the irony of it. And this is why <laughs> I remember the story is because as you just said, like you want to show up as a podcast host, also as the expert, which right. is why I decided to do both the Facha Fridays and the interviews because- yes of this lesson that I learned from Jane Atkinson back then. <laughs> full circle. A full circle. So I went, I wrote this two-page spread and I was a columnist. So me having like a story story was a big deal, right? It wasn't mm. my typical approach to media. And I went to a CAPS meeting. It was the week after it had been published. Yeah. And everybody was like, oh my gosh, did you see the article on Jane? <laughs> and I'm like, I wrote it. And they're like, <laughs> yes, I did see that article. <laughs> and they were like, oh, did you? They didn't notice. And I realized at that point that uh, if you yeah, want to be the expert, you have to be in the article and sharing the content, not the person writing it. Good point. And, you yes. know, one of the things I'm learning from uh, the Dax Shepard um, podcast, it's called Armchair Expert, not for the faint of heart. He swears a lot. Um, Dax Shepard is, um, is an actor. And, well, he's known as an actor, but I'm learning so much about him. He's got lots and lots of levels to him. And he really shares a lot of himself on, no matter who he's interviewing. So, hey, did you ever find out about this? And, and so I'm thinking, okay, that's really interesting. That's really interesting to note because I've often deferred to the guest. Right. Okay. So this is a good lesson for both of us to make sure that, you know, hey, here's my little story. Tell me about your story based on that. You know, like I think that there's a, a, a way of making sure that people get to know you as well, even though you're the host. Exactly. And I, I tend to do that a lot and maybe sometimes a little bit too much, but I, I, nobody's complained yet, but I do that. And here's why, not from, um, uh, having to share my expertise, but because I believe it leads to a more authentic, genuine conversation. And exactly. It's just about having a conversation. And what I love is that he always shares his foibles. Uh, you know, he's not always making himself the hero of the story. You know, and <laughs> oftentimes, you know, the word asshole comes up. Like, I can't believe what an asshole I was in this situation. So, you know, again, there's a uh, there is some swearing on that podcast. So if you're easily offended, by all means, uh, do not listen to the armchair expert. But that's why I like it is because he's not perfect in it. He doesn't make himself out to be perfect. And he, it, he allows his guests to uh, let people peek behind the kimono. <laughs> <laughs> I love it. That's awesome. Now, you know, the coaching industry, I wouldn't ask a lot of people about this uh, because I don't want to pick on it, but I do. But the reason I don't mind asking you about it is because you're one of the good coaches, <laughs> right? How let, let's assume so. Yes. Yeah. Thank you. <laughs> I, I do that. Like I know you have clients who like the biggest, some of the biggest speakers on the market right now are people who've worked with you or coached with you or been in your programs or whatever the case may be. So do you ever get frustrated with the coaching industry as a whole? You know what? I have to tell you, Allison, I never actually entered it. So I went and got trained as a coach from Coaches Training Institute, CTI, 
And I flew out to Vancouver. I lived in Calgary at the time, flew out to Vancouver for three or four different sessions, loved it, got, learned how to be a coach from that perspective. Most of the people in my class would have been life coaches and different things. And then I asked the instructor, well, how much do you charge for a coaching session? And he was like the leader of all of us. He was the king of the hill. And it was so low, I thought to myself, okay, well, I'm not charging that. I'm going to go higher. Like almost right out of the chute in my business, I really knew the difference between a coach and an expert. Mm. And so uh, I came back to Calgary, started my business, and blew past him in terms of uh, fees and never really, I never got uh, certified by this coaching industry. Nobody's ever asked me if I was certified in the coaching <laughs> industry. And I just never really hung around with other coaches. And I'll tell you why. Uh, and please, if you are a coach, I hope that you'll take this in the spirit that it's intended. It just didn't feel big enough for me. Like it just, it felt like um, people were struggling too much to charge what they were worth and that type of thing. So I have a lot of coaches that come through my world and into speaking who were doing like the, the wealthy speaker mentality on the mindset is the first step that we take to really allow people to think bigger. The second thing, I was doing this in Canada, having lived in Texas for six years, I've got to tell you, there's a big difference in terms of mentality of what people think is possible. And um, I'm really proud of having kind of integrated what I hope is Canadian humble with Texas big thinking. Ooh, I like that. <laughs> that's, that's my goal is to never be, a, you know, an idiot about it, but at the same time to stand tall in my fees with the confidence that I can bring the results to the table that are worth these fees. And it's interesting, the, the U.S. perspective on fees is mm -hmm. significantly different than Canadian perspective on fees, it feels like, except I've listened on your podcast where you say <laughs> you have the Americans <laughs> who are come on up here and get their fees. So In U.S. dollars, which is basically right. at 28%. That's right. That's exactly right. And so that's a good you know, that's good for anyone who is thinking that there's less than in terms of market here and money here. The money is here. We just have to find it. And do you think money is about like being able to ask for it? Like, is it internally about you or is it that you don't have the right clients who have the right budget? It, it could be a combination of both. It could be one or the other or both. You know, there's a lot of my clients who, if they are struggling, it's because they haven't quite found the sweet spot of their market yet who can afford them. You know, I know that some of my clients who are now charging, let's say, take Kendra, for example, Kendra Hall, she might go from 18,000 US to 25,000 US. And for those of you who are entrepreneurs on the line, you know, that's for 45 minutes to an hour of speech. That's a lot of money. Um, and in her market, when she first started to charge that would have been very difficult, but she's made her way through the association market up to the Fortune 100 companies, and now that's who is demanding her. And so that's why she can charge that. It's a supply and demand situation. 
I was talking with the Speakers Bureau and about my work, and he said, I, I remember when Mel Robbins was charging, you know, 5,500 and 7,500. <laughs> Isn't that crazy? Can I tell you what the difference is for Mel Robbins in my mind? Five, four, three, two, one, go. Exactly. He came to speak to us at the National Speakers Association, uh, I don't know, maybe five years ago or something like that. And she was good. She was a very good speaker, but it wasn't a it wasn't something that everybody remembered exactly what she said. And a couple of months after that, my client said, Oh yeah, I just saw Mel Robbins do her five, four, three, two, one thing. And I said, well, what's that? And he said, uh, what's the name of that again? I can't, I'm trying to think. Um, oh, the five, five second rule, the five second rule. Yeah. The, the, so she had written this book called The Five Second Rule, and now that's all she spoke about was The Five Second Rule. The premise being, if you want to go and do something in your life, you uh, say it backwards in your brain because there's something good about that, five, four, three, two, one, and then you take action. So she wrote a book and has done program after program on this idea. And it's just a hundred different examples of people taking action. It's just, uh, you know, there's one point, take action. <laughs> and so there's no, um, and so as soon as she got focused on that, everything about her business exploded. She was already busy before that, but then she exploded. And that's why she hadn't picked a lane. And then when she did, everything got so much better. And I felt as a someone who had been in her audience, I'm like, well, where was the five second rule when I saw her? I did I would have remembered that. Right. But I but as it was, it was just whatever, some humho you know, it was a good speech. It just wasn't anything that I remembered. So when like the picking the lanes, you you mentioned that. I know that's one of your key priorities for people, pick a lane. And in that case, it was like the lane probably had to come to her. I don't even know if when she decided on the five-second rule, I mean, I'd love to be able to ask her, Mel Robbins, if you're out there listening, please come on the show <laughs> and we can talk about this. Yes. But if, uh, or better yet, have me on your new show <laughs> and then we'll cool. talk about it, both of us. But there you go. I don't know, like was she sitting there and we don't know what her circumstance was, but I think when people, it, it can feel forced to try to pick a lane and you're kind of like pulling it out of the magic universe until your lane defines you. Like it's yeah. a, such a cart between the whole. Yeah. And, and some people are able to get it fairly quickly and they may pick a lane. And when we talk lane, we're talking about the speaking topic because we're coming from the speaking world. Um, but really in any business, I mean, if you're a retailer whose specialty is clothes, but then, you know, there's like a tires in the back of the store or something like that, there, you haven't picked the lane. There's a problem with that. So um, what happens is I think sometimes the market will actually lead you to adjust your lanes and hopefully only slightly into particular things that and the goal is to come to the place where passion and profits can meet and if the market says they will pay you for this and if you're really passionate about it then you've probably found your lane and you're right sometimes um it's it's not easy for people to get there and it has to really unfold organically and we can't force it but other times it's like okay you could do one of these six programs 
let's just mash up these two and then go forward boldly because you'll, you'll never become known for one thing if you're doing six different programs. And so the lane is really more about the topic as opposed to the industry? Yes. Yeah. When, we, when it comes to industries, we really um, try to do the marketing with a focused outbound approach. So for instance, you might say, okay, well, I'm only going to reach out to sales groups, sales audiences. That's my outbound effort. But, and then you might even narrow it further. Okay, well, it's going to be salespeople in these three markets, you know, insurance, real estate, whatever it might be. And so you, you have a focused outbound approach, but what comes to you could be anything. And you may find that, you know what, the plumbers are my people. That's where I want to spend my time. And so it, it may be that a market finds you that you really, really love and you decide to go deep in. Um, but when we're talking about that's target markets. That's kind of a separate issue. The lane is really um, what topic you want to be known for. Okay. And now I have switched topics. We've talked about this a lot from, you know, profitable networking over to resilience every day, which is really where my passion is. And mm -hmm. like the profits hopefully will come <laughs> at the same level <laughs> as the sales stuff. Yeah. Uh, but you did it once. You tried to straddle two lanes. <laughs> I said to myself, self, let's not, don't take my advice. I'm not, yeah, take my advice. I'm not using it. Uh, and I actually, I just felt like I had this book within me and about halfway through writing it, or maybe even three quarters of the way through, I recognized, oh, geez, I've made a mistake because I realized I'm always thinking ahead to the promotion of things. So I wrote this book called The Frog Whisperer. It was about, you know, getting married kind of late in life and finding, how do you find true love? And, and I think it was just something that I had to do. It was in, inside of my brain and I needed to get it out onto the paper. But then when it came to promoting The Frog Whisperer, I thought, A, this is muddying my market. I don't want to go to my existing list of people. Uh, B, I don't want to go and be on talk shows about this or anything like that. I don't, I don't want to talk about this. I don't want to coach on this subject. So then I recognized that my idea of picking a lane was really, truly correct. And so I had to take my own advice. And I've put the uh, frog whisper into e-versions now. And I think it might print and, and ship on CreateSpace. But I don't know. I just collect the checks. I don't do anything about it. <laughs> right. So it's just, it's, I have no idea who's interested in this product. <laughs> Which is great. Well, it's probably women like me, right? Who have gotten to a certain point in their life. They haven't find their, their mate and they would like it and they're very happy anyway. Well, it's that, that's really the happiness that, that is actually the key to the whole frog whisper idea is that, um, you're completely happy and fulfilled in your own life. And, you know, there's a part of it in there where we talk about just dating yourself. Go out and make yourself happy. <laughs> and I think that's kind of, I had just had to get to this place in my own life in order for it to work for me. And I had gone through a lot to get there. Kissed lots and lots of frogs. And uh, it, it just got very frustrating after a while. And so that's why I, I, want, I didn't want other people to have to go through that same frustration. Right. And so, okay, here I want to, this, this is a philosophical question on the whole dating <laughs> thing. 
Okay. <laughs> I, hey, who knows where this conversation goes, right? <laughs> yeah. So there's a balance because everybody will say to you, and honestly, when people say this to me, I want to slap them, but I don't because I'm a kind person, but they say, you know, <laughs> it'll, it'll happen when you're not looking. Mm. And the challenge with that is like, you don't get a job without looking, mm -hmm. right? And I don't even know how somebody defines looking, but here's the response is a single, you know, 40 ish year old lady, uh, who is very happy and very satisfied in my life and would absolutely love to find my perfect for me man. When you, like, where's the balance? Like, how do you actually ask for introductions? Like, I've done it for you, right? Like I said, hey, what about this guy? Is he available? And you said, no, I don't think he is. And, you know, whatever, right? But, yep. but then the, the resistance is, well, don't ask because, you know, if you're not looking for it. And then you're like, well, heck, I'm sitting around here not looking and yeah. <laughs> nothing's happening. And it's like, I think sometimes people confuse asking for desperation. Well, I think, uh, I think that there is the philosophy that Wayne Dyer had was to really get crystal clear on what it was that you wanted. And I think actually that part gets to more of the values than the actual attributes of the person. So what you're really looking for is a values match. There's a really great book called Attracting Your Perfect Customer. Mm. And all the same philosophies apply in love, I think, because when you attract your perfect customer, you're attracting a set of values. You value what they value and therefore you get along as customers. And so, um, like for instance, if I attracted coaching clients who valued working 24 seven, they would never be good clients of mine because I'm not working 24 seven and I don't expect them to. Right. So if they expect me to respond to uh, like a text at 11 o'clock at night, that's never going to happen. And so that's where the values need to match. They need to value freedom as much as I value freedom. And so the same thing applies to love and relationships. I think when you care about the same things and really set aside the packaging, that's when things might change. You know, for instance, I might have thought that the packaging that my husband would have needed to come in because of the business that I'm in would have been like a suit. But I already had, you know, the suit. I, I dated the suit for four years and the suit was emotionally unavailable and that did not work out for me at all. It was a giant waste of time. But I learned a lot from that situation. So I ended up marrying a man who is has got his own company he is an electrical contractor and i don't know that i would have gone out seeking an electrical contractor or a contractor of any kind i just knew that i was looking for someone who really valued family and made me laugh and and honestly it's been like 12 years and i can say that i can count the fights that we've had on one hand wow yeah, and it's because it's a va we value the same thing. You know, if our family needs us, like there's no questions. We are just there. Mm 
And that's, you know, we're on the same page about almost everything because we have similar values. So that's, um, I think maybe if you get really clear on what the values are, then that helps the attraction process kick in for you. Then the universe can kick in and kind of put these people in front of you. And sure, taking action is only going to allow the universe to do its job easier. Right. Exactly. Well, yeah. I always thought, because we've often talked about it. So I thought that was a, sure. a good thing. Now with your coaching clients and the values there, how do you separate yourself from the outcome that your coaching clients get? What do you mean? How do I separate myself? Or do you take that personally? Like I know when I've talked with other people who are consulting and experts and whatnot, it's like mm -hmm. there can be a lot of like, I'll answer at 11 o'clock at night because I want my client to be nurtured and not fail, right? <laughs> or something. Oh. But at the end well, of the day, your job- In my, <laughs> in my world, there are no speaker emergencies. <laughs> Not just, poor, just poor planning, really. And so um, I really try to, uh, I think it's all in managing expectations. And my client's success will be based on a long-term strategy of consistent, good marketing and different things that we talk about, getting good systems in place. There's nothing that happens at 11 o'clock at night that's going to make or break that. Right. Exactly. That's fair. Uh, okay. We have on the Resiliency Ninja podcast for the last little bit of our chit chat, because I think we could chit chat for hours. Quite We frankly. could. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but we have five rapid fire questions that aren't that Ooh. rapid. Okay. <laughs> they were intended to be, but they aren't. Okay. <laughs> so a book that changed your life. Hmm. Um, hmm. You know, this is going to sound really goofy, but it's actually a book on feng shui and it's called Move Your Stuff, Change Your Life. I really like that book. Yeah. And, and I just even did like a clutter clear out in my office the other day and I felt like literally the tap was pouring, you know, the revenue started pouring in and I thought, okay, that, you know, I just felt too cluttered and too you know, I was out of whack because there was too much going on around me. Okay. So I do believe in move your stuff, change your life. That's kind of out there, but what there, the you heck? there you and go. And it really hits because it's a book that changed your life. So there how you go. Right, in, you go right into the title. <laughs> That's right. Okay. So a time in your career when you pushed through fear. Oh boy. Well, I pushed through it every time I raised my fees. Okay. And uh, we went to uh, a new fee, I think about six months ago. And I think what happens is the universe wants to test you and say, are you sure? Are you sure about that? You know, the perhaps no new business comes in in two weeks or something right after you, you raise your fee. And then, of course, the gremlin starts talking to you. But I was able to, um, I just usually listen to the wealthy speaker meditation a few days in a row after something like that happens. And then I, I click back into my normal mindset and, and then the, the business comes and I'm fine. Awesome. Is there a link to that meditation? Where did people get that? Or is that a buy, yes. buy product? 
if you go, no, you don't have to buy it. It's if you go to speakerlauncher.com forward slash meditation, you can download it. Okay. Free. Awesome. All right. I will be sure that link is in the show notes. Great. All right. Next question. If you could change one thing people do on social media, what would that be? Oh boy. I just have this conversation with my team. They always want to ask these mundane questions and not like really mundane questions, but even they asked a couple of weeks ago, you know, what's your busiest month in speaking? And I just think that's just so lame. <laughs> like, come on, we can, come on. <laughs> who cares? Like, I just, I just don't like asking questions that really aren't relevant or valuable or whatever. I, uh, what annoys me about social media is there's just so much damn noise out there. Oh. And so I'm going to try to back out of the noise myself personally. Do you think that clients are still coming through the noise, but it's harder to rise above, but if you can, then it works. Or is it so more the, the outreach? I think it's just all the little things that you do to try to make it through the noise, like the podcast. And then we've got um, our Alexa flash briefings kind of to help promote the podcast, like little things that are going to help you just kind of keep, you know, the, the goal is that the client first hears about you from a friend. And then of course you show up in their social media feed and then something else happens and like bang, bang, bang. is like, I think I was meant to talk to you and okay, great. You know, but, but they've been on your website and then you show up in their social media and you know, that's not necessarily by accident, but I think that, I think it's just a combination of a whole bunch of things. Okay, cool. Uh, I'm going to replace this fourth question on the fly because there's something we didn't have time to talk about that I want to test. I want not test. I want to talk about, <laughs> uh, but you put the theory of take action to the test sometimes by saying, no, don't just take action and fire because you do right. something different. So tell me about that because I think some of us go out and fire too early. <laughs> <laughs> well, we have a process called ready, aim, fire, and you don't want to be firing until you've gotten all your ducks in a row. And so we have a hashtag called focused hustle. It's not just hustle for the sake of hustle. It's focused hustle. It's about doing the right things uh, consistently and not following every squirrel that crosses your path because it's so easy to be taken down, you know, a hole. Yes. Bye squirrels. Hashtag <laughs> focused hustle. Hashtag focused hustle. All right. And uh, hashtag focused hustle followed by hashtag damn squirrels. Yeah, <laughs> exactly. Awesome. Okay. And the last question is your favorite empowering quote. Ooh, favorite empowering quote. Um, hmm. I know I've got a lot of them that uh, I think it's actually something from the book that talked about, Brian Palmer said this from National Speakers Bureau, clients, and this is just really applicable to my world, clients don't want to hire speakers, quote unquote speakers, they want to hire smart people who happen to speak. And so we really try to raise up our, our uh, clients to be experts, you know, because that's who smart people who happen to speak are. You know, right. it's not necessarily about being a quote unquote speaker. Hi, I'm a speaker. Let me come and speak for you. It's all about 
you know, the outcomes that you deliver. And so we're very outcome oriented and that's where that comes from. Awesome. Okay. And uh, tell people please where they can reach you. They can come on over to speakerlauncher.com. And uh, if anybody's just kind of thinking about getting into the industry, a really good first step is the Wealthy Speaker 2.0. That is kind of the book that people call the Bible of the speaking industry. And uh, it tells you everything I know about how to get it going. I would say it's not everything you know. I think it's a good <laughs> summary. Well, there's more, but yeah, there is. And it is and I often am recommending that book to people. So, and even I would say not just if you're just getting into the industry for people who are like me who've been around for a decade or more. <laughs> And we're continually learning and repositioning and, and striving to that next level of speaker fee. So awesome. I, I think people definitely need to reach out to that. And also, I want to say, not just if you're a speaker, because I know there are a lot of people who are listening who are not speakers, but own businesses or growing their career within their corporate company. All of this is applicable to you and your success. So thank you for being here. Jane Atkinson, again, thank you for being here as my guest. Love chatting with you. And if you are listening, uh, please share this podcast, subscribe. I went on um, uh, my podcast the other day when I was in the States and I saw different reviews that I hadn't seen when I was getting my podcast on iTunes in Canada. So I want to do a shout out and thank you to those of you in the US who have done a review. And I, I really appreciate having all of you and getting to do this every, each and every week. Uh, don't forget to turn in, tune in for Facha Fridays, which will be in your next episode. <laughs> Thank you for tuning in to Resiliency Ninja with Allison Graham. We are thrilled to have you as part of our community. If you enjoyed the show, please rate and recommend it on iTunes, Overcast, or wherever you get your podcasts. You can always connect with Allison at r-ninja.com and find important links to show notes. Thanks for listening. Until next time, embrace whatever obstacles come your way. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.